might notice if you walk through the building, if you're in the bathrooms, if you look on our wall, uh, if you look on our, our graphics that we post, you'll see this phrase, Kingdom Co. If you look on my sleeve, it's on my sleeve. Did I dress to match the graphics? Maybe it's none of your business, okay? <laughs> but it's, it's the theme uh, for this year. You know, uh, we, we laid out in the beginning of the year that uh, I, I made the statement in January of 2022 that Jesus' primary mission in coming to earth was to establish the kingdom of heaven. Okay, I know that's a, that's a bold claim, but as you look at the text, now there, that encompasses a lot, but essentially what Jesus did, the king of kings came to earth and he established the kingdom of heaven. Now we know from our chats all the last year, uh, e- even from the last couple of Sundays, we know that the kingdom of God and, and, and the kingdom of heaven look nothing like the Jews thought that it would the long-awaited kingdom they were waiting for, and the king, a poor prophet, born to a virgin, was nothing like the king uh, they were waiting on and, and thought that he would look like. So with this whole theme of the kingdom and emphasizing the kingdom, you saw us do series over the years like, uh, or over the past year like Kingdom Worship and Kingdom Secrets, which is one of my favorites. But, uh, you know, to, to honor theme before we fully move into the emphasis of 2023 we wanted to sew up kingdom co with one last series with a kingdom exhortation to essentially the family okay um to being a kingdom families and i know what you're thinking maybe you're like man i don't have my families yet i'm not i'm not married or but here's the deal we don't get a company of kingdom people we don't get a uh, a kingdom family without us stepping into our individual kingdom purpose right without us living out the identity as a citizen of heaven, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. So regardless of where you're at in your walk, this series is going to bless you, challenge you, convict you, encourage you. It's going to do all of that. Okay. So I'm going to share kind of our, our key passage for the morning. Now I'm not really so much using this key passage for the rest of the sermon. It's more of the principle from the passage that I'm using to lead the talk. Does that make sense? If y'all are with me, shout amen. Amen. Now, before I read this, I want to bring you in the loop on where we're at at this point in the text, because my text is out of Deuteronomy. And so Moses has been walking through the wilderness, leading the Israelites through the wilderness for 40 years. It should have never taken that long, but their unbelief has kept them from the provision of God. And so uh, here he is. There's a whole generation of Israelites is going to die in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy is essentially Moses preaching to this next generation of Israelites, and he's giving them instruction for how to live under a covering of the blessing of God as they enter into the promised land. He's prepping them for the promised land. So he gives a couple of exhortations here, and I just took uh, a small chunk of one of these chats that he has with the Israelites. And so again, we know that the Israelites will eventually move into the promised land, and, and we'll get into all of that, but It's the principle. It's the principle. Okay, so I'll break this down. Deuteronomy 6, it says this. These are the commands, decrees, and regulations that the Lord, your God, commanded me to teach you. You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and grandchildren must fear the Lord, your God, as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. 
then all will go well with you and you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors promised you. We see there's this exhortation from Moses as you move into the new land to live under the blessing of God, follow all his commands, honor them. Okay. And and then he goes on, he he emphasizes even more emphatically. He says, listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. He he said, commit yourselves to them. The, The exhortation continues. He says, and you must commit yourselves to them. Repeat them again and again to your children. This word, these commands, they have to take up your home. They have to take up your relationships. They're the centerpiece of everything that you do. You got to remember them. You got to repeat them. You got to keep your eyes on them. We, we don't move without this word being hidden in our heart, without it transforming our mind. His commands is what leads us. His commands are our compass. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home when you're on the road, when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them around your hands and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. You can see you gotta gotta let his commands be your compass. You gotta let his commands lead your life. And this word needs to infiltrate every aspect of your family. So I don't care what it is, you gotta repeat them day and night. When you go on the family road trip, you're talking about it on the family road trip. Before you go to bed, you're talking, you get up in the morning when we're sitting eating pancakes at the counter, you gotta, this is what he's he's telling the Israelites. They were yeast-free pancakes. They, They were... And Moses essentially, uh, everybody fast on the front row, pancakes. <laughs> I accidentally ate a piece of chicken at Chipotle yesterday, and that's not part of my fast. And so I defiled the Lord. Forgive me. Um, got to stay on track here. Yeah, I got to start over. There you go. I feel like the Lord's telling my dad to fast for me. Praise God. So <clears throat> see what I did there? Don't play with me, boy. Yeah. <laughs> Moses gives these instructions to the Israelites. He says, if you follow his command, you're going to live in the blessing. If you rebel, you're going to be brought into exile as, as Deuteronomy continues. Spoiler alert. The Israelites, they don't follow all the commands, right? They don't follow all of it. Cause how many know to, to live this thing out perfectly is hard. Anybody doing perfect. Anybody been able to follow all the rules? No, that's why we praise God for sending Jesus who was the fulfillment of the law. Jesus fulfilled it. Jesus followed all the rules. Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life, right? He, He came, he lived a sinless life. He died a death we deserved, but then he allowed us to reap the rewards of the life that he lived. He said, in me, come on, you'll have newness of life. You'll be made new. In me, you'll find righteousness, amen? So, so he, he looks upon our broken state and that's the point of the law. The point of the law, the commands were never to actually be followed. It was the mirror for us to look in to say, I'm ugly, I need a makeover. Jesus, can you help me? Jesus, can you make me new? That's what it was for. 
But, but still, I think in this verse, even though you and I know to follow all the commands to the T, like we're not even under the old law, we're under the law of the spirit now. So they had a list of rules. Now we have the voice of God at work on the inside of us, whispering to our heart. Now we're spirit led. We're under the law of the spirit. So the spirit's gonna tell you forward, backward, side to side, pick it up, put it down, right? Uh, love them, forgive them. God's word, which is the spirit of God, but the Holy Spirit is divinely leading us. Now, you know, what's sin in our life is to know what is right to do and not do it. If God's asked you to do something, if he's leading you to do something and you don't do it, that's sin, okay? It's no longer a list of rules. It's this relationship. It's this voice that's guiding us, that's leading us. So that's, that's the law that we're under. But again, there's, there's principles here. There's principles in this verse that are still applicable to us today. And so the first one is that there's significant blessing to be found in radical obedience to God. As you follow, as, as you follow Jesus, as you prioritize Jesus, as you honor and glorify Jesus with your thoughts and your actions and your words, you're going to live in the blessing of God, okay? And that doesn't always look like big trucks and big houses, but it's contentment and joy and purpose and kingdom impact and all these beautiful fruits that are found in the spirit. It's the thing that, 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 that the big truck we think is going to give us, God gives it to us authentically and genuinely. Because that's what we're all chasing anyway, Right? So radical obedience, uh, uh, you, you, you see the blessing of God in your life. You, you find what you could not find anywhere else. And so we see that God desires for his children and for his kids. I want you to be obedient. I, I desire that you would do what I've asked you to do, what I'm leading you to do. And it's not because he likes to be the boss. It's because he's the author and the creator of life. And he actually says, I have good things for you to do. If we would just obey his word rather than run off chasing our flesh, we would see that he's actually leading us into good things. Now that doesn't not mean persecution on earth, but it's heavenly reward. It, again, it's contentment and joy and peace. And I, I think God lays out financial provision and can do all that too. But I'm just saying it, it, we need to trust where he's leading us and he's leading us into good things. And so sometimes we get scared of obedience and we hate that word, but that's right where we want to be in the kingdom of heaven. So there's obedience. But the second thing that we see from this text is how deeply God cares about the family and about this legacy of faith. And God cares. Moses is, is emphatically, you got to read it to your kids and read it when you're traveling and read it when you get up and read it and, and tie it to your hands. And, and he is being emphatic that, that this word and these commands, what, what God desires for his people is clearly commuted to the next generation, to your children and to your grandchildren. We're going to honor the Lord. We're going to serve the Lord. We're going to talk about the Lord. He's going to be the center. This is, this is what you see. And so that's really the driving force behind the entirety of this series is like, y'all, we've been called to be kingdom families. And, and so like there, there is a measure of faith that our, my desire is, and, and your desire should be from what your parents gave to you, you take that measure and increase upon that measure as we steward the faith that we've been given to the next generation, as we help them grow in their own faith. All right. Let's pray, and then I'll jump in. I feel like I already preached the message. Here we go. Let, let's pray, and then we'll jump into this. Jesus, we love you so much. 
grateful for the opportunity to be in your house, to share your word. I pray for an anointing that I could preach powerfully and effectively, uh, that you would be honored and glorified in this house and that this word wouldn't fall on deaf ears, but it'd fall on fertile hearts. The seed of your word would take root, it'd grow to produce fruit in our lives. We don't just wanna hear your word, we wanna live it out. Transform us into a company of kingdom people and I pray we'd keep fostering kids in Jesus' name, amen. So Christmas break for me, I hope you guys had a good Christmas break, uh, but, but it was pretty special for me. My birthday is December 22nd, so December 22nd, um, you know, I got gypped as a kid on the birthday deal because everybody's traveling and all that. But nowadays, as I'm older, people send nice messages and they send nice texts and they tell you how much they love you. And I'm a words of affirmation guy, unashamedly so. So when you say nice things, when you tell me I preach good and I'm pretty, we're friends, okay? It's, you've, you've... You have become one of my good friends, amen? So my birthday was awesome, December 22nd, that was great. Uh, And then uh, the 25th, we woke up, we had Christmas with our girls uh, just in our home for the first time. First Christmas that we've had is kind of a a full family. I spent the night before building a bunk bed and y'all know that like, I don't build, me and tools, we don't like each other. And so, but I got it figured out. And, and I was going to give Santa credit until four hours in. I was like, Santa, this was from dad, okay? The toys were from you. So, and then on the 28th, we had um, our, our official adoption court case. So, yeah. So we are officially Mark Griffith, Abigail Griffith, Glory Griffith, Elena, and Jasmine Griffith as well. So we're super, we're super excited and You know, um, we had planned, you know, we have Glory kind of slept in our bed, but the other girls could never sleep in our bed legally. So we had decided on the night of the adoption, we're we're all going to get in the same bed, have a big slumber party. Okay. And so we did it. And it's this really cute idea until I'm like, okay, I can't sleep. And this is, I'm way too big to be having three other kids. in my bed. And so it's like five in the morning and I can tell Lena, (laughs) Lena got the short end of the stick. She's next to me and she can't fall asleep because she doesn't have any room. So I'm like, I'm just getting out of bed. Y'all sleep. So I go upstairs. We're at our parents' house. We stayed at our parents' house. I I go up into the living room. There's a pot of hot coffee. I get hot coffee. I just sit down with my word. I got a lamp on. House is quiet and I'm sitting there starting to read my Bible. I'm reading through Acts. And so uh, I'm, I'm sitting there drinking my coffee, reading my mom comes out. And, and so she sits down next to me and, you know, she's like, if, if mom could get us all back in the house, she'd probably have us all back in the house. Okay. She's that kind of mom. So she like, can't wait to come out. What are you doing? What are you reading? You know? <laughs> and so she gets her coffee and she sits down and, and I'm like, all right, I got to finish this chapter before we chat. She's like, okay, I'll read it too. And so, <laughs> so we're sitting there and you know, it's funny, but it's really beautiful because here we are, we, we both start reading the same thing and then we start conversing over what we're reading. And we're talking about what the Lord's teaching us as we're reading and what we're learning about him as we're reading. And then she's reading out of this Bible and she goes, I don't know if I've told you this, but this was my first Bible. I'm like, what? It was? I'm like, she's like, yeah. She's like, yeah, my, my, my Aunt Jenny, she, she bought it for me. She gave it to me. And she starts to share about her Aunt Jenny. Now, my mom wasn't necessarily uh, raised in a Christian home. She had an aunt who would come pick her up every Wednesday. And my mom may have shared this story or not, but she stands in the window and she would anxiously be awaiting her aunt coming to pick her up. And she, that was when we had church Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, Wednesday night. They had youth group on Friday nights. And, and so 
she's like, she's just, uh, you know, waiting in the window and she falls in love with Jesus. She gets radically saved as a kid, actually on Christmas day in 1978, because it's in here, it's on the page, but she starts sharing who Aunt Jenny was to her and how she picked her up. And then, so my mom's mom, my grandmother's watching my mom in the window, jump up and down, waiting to go to church, thinking, how can this be this good? Like, what, what is going on here? And so their whole family's saved now and they've all come to the Lord. And so, um, but, but my mom said, Aunt Jenny, she said, I was like, I was like looking at the dates and I was like, wow, I was like, you got saved. It has her on here. Literally it has, um, where does she write it? Salvation, 12, 25, 78, um, water baptism, January 28th, baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, in May. So a couple months after that. And I'm looking, I was like, mom, you got saved on Christmas day. She goes, yeah. She goes, Aunt Jenny sat down with me at the table and we had a conversation and she led me to the Lord right at the table. And she goes and she bought me this Bible and, and she wrote this note. And for time's sake, I'm not going to read it, but it's kind of this, you know, it's sort of this corny poem about if Jesus was to come into your house and would you be prepared and would you turn your radio off and all these things? Cause they used radios back then. And, um, <laughs> But, but what stuck out still do. <laughs> but what stuck out to me is, is she's talking about sitting, sitting with this aunt who, who took the time, and they sat at the table, and she led her to the Lord. And, and I think there was a time that the table was kept sacred. You know, for um, hyperbolic purposes and dramatic effect and to illustrate a large thought with a sexy, simple phrase. I think recently we've traded in the table for the tablet. Wow. You know, the, the table to me, it represents intimacy and patience and quality and, and uh, in connection. And, and the tablet, it represents fast and, and synthetic and shallow and quick and 15 seconds till you swipe to the next thing and then we're on to the next and it's the rat race, it's the rush of life. And, and I know that this church is full of families that love Jesus. I, I know that you are I, and I'm one of them. I can I'm clump myself into this. But, but with all the sports agendas, with the conveniency of social media, with the two salary homes, uh, with all the video games and the television subscriptions and the commitments to the gym and the other activities, with our crowded overbook schedules, with all of it, I just wonder if we've sacrificed the table. Not that any of those things are inherently bad, but not at the expense of us putting this at the center. And, and so even when I say the table, I don't even necessarily like mean we're sitting at the kitchen table talking, but it's like e even that moment where me and mom are, are sitting on two recliners, drinking coffee in the morning, having a conversation. We're at the table. We're at the table. And so moms and dads and, and sons and daughters, are we sitting, keeping his commands, keeping his word at, at the forefront, at the center? Make a time for it. Like, like, have we, have we sacrificed the table where we don't take time to sit with our family and our loved ones? Where we, we're not really talking about the things of God. 
We, we don't sit down and share about our, our personal struggles and our personal victories where we're not even taking time to pray over one another. And, 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 and in fact, it, you feel like if you were in the kitchen with your wife for me to just lay hands on her and, and pray for her, that may even be awkward. We have to move far beyond this place if, if we're gonna be kingdom families. And listen, it's okay. If that's you, that's where you feel, that's okay that that's the starting place, but it's not okay that that's where we stay, yeah. right? And so we just have to get started where especially men in the rooms, as God has called you to lead your homes, we have have to set the tone of our homes. It can't just be a cute phrase on our wall. It's one of our core values. Like we're tone setters, gentlemen. Okay. So, so we got to walk in and our kids get prayed for every day. And we read the Bible with our wives and we're asking, what do you think? And how does that speak to you? And, and, and so, you know, because here, here's what I see. Our friends will post on Facebook, just, just found out, uh, so-and-so passed. Would you, would you, would you pray for me? And we'll be the first ones to comment, love you praying. And it's like, but you haven't laid hands on your kids in a year. Like you don't, I'm just, I just, you know, I just see Moses's command and I see God's heart. Like, are are there times where we we see our kids and we know what they're going through and we, and we lay hands on our kids and we say, father, thank you for creating this masterpiece. They're yours created anew. You have good things for them. I pray that you'd fill them with the fruit of your spirit, with the gifts of your spirit, that they would live and they would be bold and they would be courageous. God, God, you've, you've cultivated them. I, I pray that they would be a person who makes massive kingdom impact. Are we interceding for our kids? As our spouse walks out the door, Father, we thank you for what you've given them, for what you've provided through this opportunity to work. I pray for favor with leadership and whatever it is. Are we like interceding? Are we kingdom families? Or is it like, hey, going to work, see you later. Hey, honey, I'm bringing the kids to the game. Got to see you later. Okay, kids playing on the floor with Legos and Netflix is on the TV and I'm scrolling. That's what my home's looking like sometimes. Been so convicted putting this together. Just, yeah, you're good. Yeah, grab it yourself. You know, here, 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 honey. Here, just watch this. Just, 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 just watch this. And, and like God is, God has this heart for the family to be deeply connected, for his word to be infused rather than like, hey, what's going on at school? Who's your best friend? What kind of decisions are they making? Are you guys ever talking about the Lord? I, whatever. You know, I'm not saying we even got to be, be corny with it, but it's like, but we're, we're constantly thinking like, Jesus, if you're the king of our lives, if you're everything, then uh, like you need to be weaved in everything. And that's what he desires. That's what we see in his word. But instead we, we just want to pray for you on Facebook and then we get around the church folk and we not necessarily pretend that we love Jesus, but we, we give off the impression, yeah, we're loving Jesus and we're serving Jesus. But the reality is, is we're in the rat race, bouncing around games and playing games and we're binging Netflix and our kids are off in the room doing what they do. And then we're off the next morning to this event. And then we're off and then we're, it's, it's this, and we don't even sit and we don't even eat together. We're rushing in and we're rushing out and we've convinced ourselves we don't have time for the table. 
And again, the table, it represents quality. It represents Christ-centered time. It's not just the table, but it's the conversations we allow to take place in the van. It's the conversations we have while we're sitting on the bleachers, watching little brother. It's the things that when, we, when, we pick, when we're picking the kids up from school, when we're laying in bed with our spouse at the end of the night, it's what is God teaching you? It's all of this. The table, these quality conversations, incorporating God's word. Like if this is who we were created for and that's who we were created by, our, our, our spirits, our, our souls, and our bodies, that they need this. They need this. And here's what I'm afraid of. If we're not making time for the table, if we're not making time for the table, then we're probably not discipling our homes. And we've been called to make disciples. So how are we discipling the people closest to us? There's not gonna be an easier group of people to disciple in terms of proximity. We're around them every day. God's heart has always been for the home. Adam and Eve, God creates Adam. He looks at man. First thing he says isn't good is what? For man to be alone. His heart's for the home. He, he, in, in Exodus, they, they have the, 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 the Passover. Do they take the lamb's blood and put it on individuals' heads? Or do they put it on the doorpost of their home? Is Moses not emphatically saying in Deuteronomy, to your children, to your grandchildren, write it on your forehead. Like what? Paul, he gives clear instruction in the New Testament. Dads, y'all act like this. Moms, y'all act like this. Kids, y'all act like this. Because here's how we, here's how we uh, live in obedience to the king's command. Here's how we'll be led into the good things he have. Here's his divine order for the house, which is the best order. Do you sit and pray with your kids? When was the last time you and your wife, you sat and you discussed the scriptures? When's the last time you prayed over your sibling because they just went through the breakup or they're walking through some sort of discouragement or they got the bad grade or whatever it is? None of us are exempt from this. What's really become the king of our homes? Christ or the chaos? So I wanted to share this progression here. I'm running short on time, so I got to blitz through a little bit faster than I wanted. So I'm not going to read all the scriptures that I have in there, Hallie. I'll just kind of summarize some of them. But because um, I want to take a little bit of time to respond to this after too. But in Acts 6, so New Testament church is exploding, okay? Jesus has died. He's resurrected. He's ascended. He's poured out his spirit in Acts 2. And so now you have the apostles in Jerusalem and, and the church is on fire. And, and so people are coming to the Lord. They're adding thousands and they're growing daily. And so there's multiple things they do, but one ministry they've implemented is a bread ministry. And the apostles realize, man, we're, man, we're tied up. We have, we have to preach and we have to teach. We, we got to delegate. We got to delegate. We got to have someone else oversee the bread ministry. They're like, find seven men to lead uh, the, the bread ministry. And so they appoint seven guys. And I'll, I'll read this really quick here. And it says, um, so, uh, so, so they call a meeting. They're like, we, we got to delegate the work of the bread ministry so we can give ourselves a way to pray, to prayer and the teaching of the word. So it says this, uh, Everyone liked this idea. 
So, so the bread ministry and, de- and delegating the responsibilities. And they chose the following. Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit. Philip, just Philip. Um, and, and then they go on to list all the other people and they, and they have a couple names. But you see like, here's this man, Philip. He gets kind of this special title. And then there's just this guy, Philip, okay? Well, as you move into Acts 7, Stephen gets stoned and killed. He's the first martyr that we see in the New Testament. And so Saul is leading his group of minions. They're persecuting the church, right? And so the church scatters. Philip is forced out. The apostles stay in Jerusalem, but everyone scatters. Is everybody with me? Okay, so, so the church scatters, including the seven guys who were overseeing the bread ministry. Philip goes in to uh, neighboring cities, and we see this in Acts 8. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. So just because there was persecution, Philip didn't get discouraged and miss out on the purposes God had on his life. Okay, he leaned in. And that's another message. But in verse five, Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria, told the people there about the Messiah. Crowds listened intently to Philip because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Philip, it's the persecution, pushes him out. And now he's stepped into maybe even more significant, more effective ministry, greater kingdom responsibility. Isn't it funny how God will use some of the most difficult things we walk into to bring us into more purposeful things? That'll preach. The persecution Philip experienced has actually brought him into something uh, greater. And so uh, 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 he's one of the seven that that was named. And then the rest of the book of Acts continues on. And it really just turns into this hyper-focus of Paul's journey as he uh, visits cities and plants churches and raises up elders and, uh, you know, has conversations with different sons in the faith. And, And it really becomes about Paul's sort of missionary journey while he's on earth. So it's not until we get to Acts 21, where it's years later, We've kind of forgot about the first part of Acts. It's a longer book. And and we see this in Acts 21. I'll read this verse. Paul was, uh, he he had gone out, he had traveled everywhere. He had started churches. He had had conversations. He he had raised up sons in the faith. He'd raised up elders. He's done incredible work for the kingdom. And he's on his way back to Jerusalem and he stops at this city here. And this is in Acts 21, years later, after the bread ministry, after the persecution, it says this, Acts 21, verse eight. The next day, we went on to Caesarea and stayed at the home of Philip the Evangelist. And we just want to make sure that you don't forget who this guy was. You've heard about this guy, this this familiar face, Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven men who had been chosen to distribute food. But here's the part that I love, little nugget. That that whole story will, will preach on its own and I'll do that on a different Sunday. But in verse nine, and he had four unmarried daughters, original translation is they were virgins. So they were younger, they were unmarried yet, they, which represents that they were pure, that they were God honoring in their lives. He had four unmarried daughters who all had the gift of prophecy. Philip Philip was faithful with the little. Yeah, I'll I'll hand out bread. Yeah, yeah, I'll oversee that. 
And I just wonder if there's maybe some dudes in this room where it's like maybe you're just holding a door right now or you just help collect the money for the church or whatever it is. You find yourself, you're like, Pastor Mark, I love Jesus. I've been listening to podcasts, but for me to pray with my wife, that's a, that's a big deal. Um, or, or to sit and read with your kids would feel awkward or they don't have the time attention span for it or whatever it is. But, but here's the deal. Philip was faithful to grow in his own walk. As a, as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And he grew. And so as Philip goes from Philip, the guy who hands out bread, to Philip, the evangelist, we see there's fruit being produced in his family. And so we know, without even much more context than that, we know that Philip sat at the table with his daughters. He was, he was, he, he allowed the spirit of God to do a work in him. He remained obedient. He remained faithful. And so God brings him into these greater measures of faith and spiritual gifting. And so we just got to start and we got to allow God to develop us. But as he develops us though, there's an increasing measure that's going to happen. So Philip, when he was younger, was serving bread, but Philip's daughters, when they're young, are prophesying. And so as I sit here with my mom, it dawns on me as we're, as we're sitting at the couch, she's sharing about this girl who's, you know, experienced some abuse at home and her aunt will just come pick her up. Her, her aunt's faith will just come and, she, and she'll take her. And this little girl says yes to Jesus, gets saved at a table and says, that's it. He's got my life. I'm going to serve him. He's going to be everything. She meets him. She sits him down, makes him accept Jesus on the first date. (laughs) They got four kids. And and we sit, and this is, and the hard questions are had. And and we're dragged to church. And was it always perfect? No. But it was this. She knew the importance of what it meant for that to be there. And here we are. 40 years later, for 50 years later, whatever it is, from from this moment, and she's sitting across talking to her own kin, and mom is talking to Pastor Mark. Her dad wasn't a pastor. She wasn't in church. She wasn't an evangelist. She didn't travel travel around with singing groups. And I've been so convicted. Look at the measure of faith in your family right now. The measure of faith that we're cultivating, that we're making room for in, in our house, like Jesus is everything, right? Like this whole thing, this whole life is about Jesus. It's who we were created for. It's what we were created by. And I just wonder if it's like, yeah, but I really like football though. Like, do our kids know? Like, are they rolling their eyes? Because it's like, oh, mom's praying, dad's praying again. Oh, we gotta do our Bible study again. It's not about being legalistic or just following the rules, but it's about saying, God, there's nothing more important than you. And I know right now you're cultivating my home's character, but I'm gonna be the spearhead. I'm gonna step out and lead it. I'm gonna be faithful and say, God, you're the center and make every effort. I know you've talked about coming down and watching dad sitting with his Bible reading and you said, man, I I think about where I am now as a kid. I want my kid to come out and see me sitting and reading the word and saying, I can't talk right now because I'm in the word. Well, I'll get you chocolate milk in a minute. Is the measure of faith in my home 
Is it growing from generation to generation? And if it, and if it is where, yeah, bread ministry Philip turns to daughters who are prophets. I, I want to see God do that through my line. I want to see him do that through my family. Maybe things look, maybe things, Beck, I see you here every week. Every week, bringing them, bringing them. You know why? You're carrying a mantle. That's what it is. And those kids are going to grow and those kids are going to serve the Lord. That's, I see him running around this morning and God's hand is on his life and he's going to know who his creator was. He's going he's gonna to grow in his gifting. And I just wonder if there's somebody else. Maybe you're sitting here and you, and you know, man, I haven't, I haven't been carrying this thing. I haven't, I haven't tied it to my forehead and tied it to my fingers, but it's about time. I'm over here and man, my grandma had a lot of faith, but we just don't really go that much. Well, why? There is nothing else that's more important. There's nothing else. There's nothing else. It's Jesus. I, your kids, if they get into the Ivy League school, it's great. I'm proud of you. If, if they get the great job, if they get the academic and athletic excellence, if they make the band and they go to whatever, they, they, they do all the, they travel and they, and they see the world, it's all great and it's all good things. But if they don't know him, it's all in vain. Second Timothy says this, it says all scripture is God breathed and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us what to do and teaches us what is right. And God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. You're God's masterpiece created in you in Christ Jesus to do good things he prepared long in advance. And this is part of how we step into those good things, equipped, ready, and available. And so as our kids go out into the world, we gotta wear some of this. We gotta, we gotta wear some of this. And I know God's sovereign and I know it's his spirit and I know he draws people to himself, but he's also given us his word and he's gonna empower us through his Holy Spirit to be obedient to it. But we can choose not to be obedient to it. But if our kids are going out and they're not equipped because they haven't had the word, well, mom and dad, mom, dad, aunt, grandma, whoever it is, whatever season you're is, wherever you're at, even you, as you're cultivating your own life with him, if if you're, if, if you're out there unequipped, we got to wear some of that. It's our job to equip our homes for the good work God has, and we do it through his word. Do we read this? Do we reflect on this? Do we respond to this? J Jesus, the, the, I, can't, I can't say it enough. Who we were created for. It's, it's what we were created by. It's the very reason you're here on earth. And Jesus came he, he came and he, and he lived the life that you and I couldn't live. Mark, I just, I'm not good enough, man. I'm, I got all this mess. I know, and Jesus knows. Jesus knows, but just get started. Just, he, he's gonna change you. He's gonna cover you. He's gonna bless you. It's just, just seek him. Just as dirty, as filthy, as messed up as you are, just seek him. Even though you're not doing it all right, even though you don't even know what this means entirely, just do it. Just read it. Just, just get in. Just seek him. And he says, those who seek me, like, uh, like they'll find me. So God's inviting you. 
Jesus is inviting you. The Spirit of God is inviting you. Come on, I want to transform your home.